What are the rules of growing a startup? Welcome to Venture Voice, show number 36. I'm your host, Greg Gallant, and today we bring you coverage of the first half of our very own Venture Voice Startup Workshop. On this show, we usually interview top entrepreneurs. We get their stories, and we try to learn from their successes and failures. At the end of June 2006, we took a handful of our past guests and put them in a room together in Lower Manhattan. Some of you, our listeners, registered to attend and got to ask questions and interact during breakout sessions. The caffeine was flowing. We made sure there was an unlimited supply of coffee, something that many entrepreneurs run on. Some of these entrepreneurs and venture capitalists knew each other very well. Others had never met before. The speakers come from very different backgrounds and very different parts of the world. They share in passion for entrepreneurship and have a lot of experience to draw off of. While we asked each one of them to focus on a topic, we made sure there was plenty of time for interaction and even debate. While we were very deliberate in who we had on the panel, we had no clue what would happen with this mixture, but we knew it'd be entertaining if nothing else. After all, our slogan is entertaining entrepreneurship. In this show, I'll walk you through the morning session, which includes Dick Costello, the founder and CEO of FeedBurner, an RSS management startup in Chicago. Dick's also started and sold two companies prior to FeedBurner. Dick even has experience in improv comedy, including a stint at Chicago's Annoyance Theater. Scott Heiferman, the founder and CEO of Meetup.com. Scott also started and sold one of the early interactive ad agencies and also a photo sharing company called Photolog. Dave Hornick, a partner at August Capital, a venture capital fund in Silicon Valley. David's invested in companies including Six Apart and VideoEgg. The founding partners at August Capital were the only venture capital funders in Microsoft. David started his career as a lawyer. Gene Sullivan, a partner in Starvest Partners, a venture capital firm here in New York that's invested in startups including Larry Edelson's NetSuite, a company that will soon IPO. Gene kicked off the first session that's about partnerships by telling us about one of her other credentials and David and Dick jump in with remarks. I am just amazed with the audience, your background, and what you're interested in. That's really important for me and us to serve your needs. The only thing I can say in the way of credentials, and you see this in my bio, is I've had an email address since 1980, and uh, my partners say, well, Gene, you only had three people to write to then, didn't you? But I was at Bell Labs. I was at the Labs and AT&T, all Unix and VI stuff, and I said, wow, this is great, and why I wasn't smart enough to invent the browser is beyond me because I knew it was hard to to, to, to grep all these things but it's really Sorry, it wasn't worth that much money yeah really <laughs> there you go <laughs> but it, it, it's really exciting it turned out not to be the big business <laughs> <laughs> and uh but uh uh I uh anyway uh th- that whole world and being part of that world really kind of just the uh, just the second I saw the first PC, I had to have it and use it and really consider myself an early adopter. Jean talks about how essential team building is in her own venture firm. And if you think what she's saying doesn't apply to startups, 
you'll hear Scott jump in at the end with a story from one of his startups. So uh, how do you build that team from the start? Uh, one thing that is, uh, that is really critical, and I'm hoping to tell you things you don't ordinarily hear from these kind of panels, which can be very stodgy, of which I know ours are. We just tell you a little secret about Starvest and something we did that I think would be useful for you guys. When we put our team together, uh, and there were four of us when we started, three women, one guy, okay? And uh, he was so funny because he had five sisters. So people would go, oh, all these women partners, he said. And being raised with five sisters, he kind of needed that, you know, to understand. As I was telling David, there's a lot of estrogen in the room. I can tell you that much. And uh, so uh, we hired and kept throughout the many years. You might think this is a really too touchy-feely and pretty weird. But we've had a corporate shrink on and off throughout the whole time. Let me tell you why, and let me tell you why it's a good idea for you. This woman was phenomenal. She was an organizational behavior person. There's plenty of them sprinkled around the country. She was able to do all those testing, Myers-Briggs and everything else, that understood, had us understand, our decision-making style. And that was important because John, the guy, liked to go A to Z. Oh, let's invest in that. And we go, wait a minute, we want to go, the three of us, we want to go A, B, C, D, real logical, analytical, research-driven. He go, what's wrong with you guys? You know, it, 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 it's not fun when then the contention builds in. This incredible person tested us and talked to us, and she realized, you know, you're, how you are, this is like imprinted, like fingerprints. It's in your DNA, these characteristics of, let's say, decision-making style and all kinds of other things. And she showed that he was some acronym, ISTP, and we were all ENTJs. And because of that, because of that, yeah, it was... It was I always hate those tests. Yeah. I, my answer is always like, you're supposed to live underground. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So see, see, what happens is, Dick's living underground, and we're like living, you know, disco life, and he goes, what's wrong with you guys? And unless you understand that, that can help for how to get it on with each other. So we learn that he likes to go A to Z. That doesn't mean he's always right, but his decision style is going Z. Decide. We weren't. Now, we were all J's. J's really make decisions. We like to decide. You know, we don't have to wait and figure it out in a year, but we like the analytical piece behind it. And so just learning that helped us he learned about us, we need the data. And we learned about him, he likes to decide right now, but then we want to do some data to prove it in. And I'm telling you this story so that if you as founders and as team builders, probably as CEOs, need to understand your decision style as a team and what melds you and what's, what you can celebrate with and for each other and what you know, what you don't like about each other, what you like about each other, what your skill set is, uh, what it isn't, and then you can trust each other better as you learn what you bring to the table. And this was critical for success. Otherwise what happens to venture groups, and I'm sure you guys, Milestone and Adam, being in venture funds, 
these blow up all the time. Any war stories there from you? I hate my partners. I see. <laughs> see? We're on the verge. See? Yeah, it's hard. You guys, you know, it's hard. It's really hard. And hey, what? Can I, can I share? Uh, yes, uh, yes, Scott, quick, I was going to ask you. Quick, quick. Uh, it's, it's funny you say that because uh, um, I, I found I would have had no comment about something like that until recently, despite being in the startup world for yep. you know, over a decade. But um, the uh, my. Um, me and my four partners at that meetup uh, went through a sort of mission vision uh, exercise, which we procrastinated for four years. And we sort of all knew what we were doing, but we didn't set it. And we, we, we worked with this this guy. It, it was amazing how we uh, we um, realized how different we were without knowing it. And actually, it's been incredibly useful uh, in having going through this uh, this this that, a process like that of understanding the people you're working with. Uh, you don't you don't realize how um, how there are differences uh, just working every day like that. So did you hire somebody that helped you kind of look at that? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 uh, uh, but the the big takeaway, I mean, it was even to the level of we were all working our ass off every day and not and all of that sort of what we thought was a common vision, but we realized that we all had different um, even a different um, sense of what we were doing. And and you could completely see how that was uh, not destructive, but um, how it was uh, really inefficient uh, yeah. in terms of decision making and things of that nature. Exactly, the decision making part. That's that's the essence of what I'm also trying to express. Jean gives her thoughts on the role of a CEO in a startup, and Dick, who is a CEO, backs her up. Now I have a premise, and I've really preach this for many years and it always raises eyebrows. I believe the CEO is the most important person on the team. So do I. Yep, it is. <laughs> it is important. And, and if he or she is not, then guess what? This place. And here's why. And, and How do you feel about that? Yeah, the reason... The reason it resonated much. Not, well, not so board much. Land, but hey, that's and that's okay, but Scott already was very vulnerable to you and told you he got displaced. Okay, now here's, here's that gig. And this is really important, especially young, you know, energetic, high passion, high vision founders and CEOs as you are. This is what I, I just tell people this all the time, and I think it really helps. Uh, if you... The reason the CEO is the most important person is he or she, if he's good, or she is good, will hire and fire the right people, will be able to get the financing like this person and that person did, and will be able to manage the finances of the business and not run the company into the, into the sandbar, and will be able to think through the product strategy and the vision. And he or she may not have all that in their brain, but they know how to collect the right people and drive toward that. Gene points out that the CEO doesn't have to know everything, but the CEO does have to know what he or she doesn't know so they can bring the right people in to do the job. The CEO also has to know if he or she is unable to lead the company anymore and step aside if necessary. After the conversation turns to forming partnerships between companies, Dick gives a warning about making too many partnerships as a startup. 
Once you start doing something that gets any any sense of public traction, you start to get a lot of inbound requests about partnerships, generally, frequently from other startups, right? Um, I'm not making up this term. It's been thrown it's thrown around a lot, but a lot of people refer to these you know these Barney partnerships where you just you sort of agree to like each other and write each other down as partners, yeah. you know, and and hug. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, and they just um, they just waste time. I mean, you end up you find yourself on the phone once a week talking about you know where you're at, and and and, and so there there are three there there are three kinds of partnerships that I think are are as David said earlier, you have to know when to say no. That are that don't make a lot of sense to get involved in sort of day one when you're still building out your product. At least at least in my experience, one of them is solutions partnerships. Solutions partnerships are these guys have some technology, you guys have some technology. If it could plug together and be made to look like this third kind of interface, wouldn't that be great? Because you could take it around to all these kinds of places. You need to have you need to wait till you're, you've really got an API fully fleshed out before that makes that that makes sense. And those things just end up they just end up. My experience has been they just end up not happening. You end up talking a lot. The sales guys try to go out and sell it. The engineering team comes back and says, "Do you want us to build that, or do you don't want us to work on the core product?" Um, the second one are these. I'm sure you got. I'm sure. I'm sure you see. You know, on every venture pitch, right there's the partners page, right? And probably Google's on a lot of them, and Yahoo's right. on a lot of them, and Microsoft's on a lot of them. And there are these co-marketing agreements, or you know, Google's agreed to do this, or Yahoo's agreed to do that. They just, or AOL, or whoever, right? These big companies can suck up a lot of reasons. Yeah. You know, they have five thousand people. You have three people. They're happy to talk to you on the phone and have conversations and whiteboard sessions you know for hours on end you don't have hours on end you've got to be doing you know a b c d e so i just you know sort of you know lesson learned as you go from company to company is don't don't spend a lot of time on those things in the early days They'll, those opportunities will be there later when your product's ready when you have apis and you can take those things to market and execute, execute quickly. My guess is, I mean, I don't know this, but my guess is, since most VCs probably see those partner names on every pitch that comes into them anyway, they don't give them a lot of credence. So, you know, you end up wasting a lot of time for very little benefit. The panel emphasizes the importance for technology startups of having an API before making partnerships. API stands for Advanced Programming Interface. It's a documented system for partners to easily hook into your platform with very little effort. In other words, you can bring on a new partner without having to have lengthy meetings between your teams. But regardless of what industry your company's in, even not in technology, the message is to be sure partnerships you make are strategic rather than just opportunistic. Partnerships should not eat up your time and hold you back. But rather, they should be repeatable and on your terms. But as with all good panels, not everyone agreed. Scott brought up some exceptions to this rule. For the point of of, of being a little bit contrarian, yep. so everyone so everyone gets a a good clear picture. Uh, you know, I, I think it's I think uh, one general rule is to not have rules. Yep. <laughs> exactly. And so, in other words, I'm not um, going to do that. Uh, so. Meaning, what I'm saying is that you know, um, I, I I generally yeah, you have to know what you're focusing on and know when to say no. Can't argue with that for sure. But yeah, I tend to I tend to take an approach of um, you know, take those meetings. You know, um, um, the uh, 
There's always, you know, should should Google not have uh, early on gotten a, in a partnership with Yahoo? And I know that's a that's an extreme example, but you know, the the Google's original, you know, break was you know to be powering the uh, the search behind Yahoo, not, not Yahoo. Now, I'm I'm not disagreeing that you shouldn't take those. You shouldn't take those meetings with Yahoo, uh, or, you, or that you should necessarily. But I don't know. You know, there, there's, there's, there's. Um, don't necessarily listen to panels like this if they give you a general rule. Uh, um, but I think there is that. The, the, the takeaway is a big, a, a good one, yeah. which is, which is, you know, we probably we've all learned this in our in our careers. Everyone in the room, you know, that you know, you 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 your time is precious and. And you can uh, waste time with this, that, or the other thing, and you got to know when to say no for sure. Yeah. This is what I really liked about our startup workshop. It was not just preachy advice. In fact, if you listen to a lot of smart and successful entrepreneurs give advice, you'll find a lot of contradictory advice. That's because different things work for different people. Sometimes a good strategy in one situation isn't a good strategy in a different situation. So while it's easy to universalize from one's own experiences and give quick advice, it can often make for misleading advice or advice that won't work for someone else. This is why we wanted to throw all these opinionated entrepreneurs in a room together. I think that overall, the panel offered more of a method for analyzing decisions in a startup rather than just giving a bunch of cliches for best practices in a startup. Dick followed up by reiterating the idea of not doing dumb partnerships. And Scott finally agrees, but for different reasons. You know, I, and, I, and, I, and I can say this to Scott directly because we, we, we have a mutual investor. And there have been, you know, any number of you guys should do, you know, you, Burner, meet up, you, guys should, you guys should be working together. There's no reason you shouldn't be working together. And both Scott and I will kind of look at each other and go, yeah, you know, no, it doesn't make sense. doesn't. You know, yeah, you guys have this and you guys have this, but you know, maybe later when it makes when it makes more sense, mm-hmm. and we can kind of come to that conclusion quickly, as opposed to, all right, let's schedule you know a four-hour meeting with our engineering teams to see if there's anything to do. Here. Well, I mean, I generally uh, think that we shouldn't just because I don't like you. Oh right, <laughs> that's what it was. No, no, I blocked that it's out. Personal. My, I blocked. I blocked the engineers that it takes business is personal. Just kidding. <laughs> never, never do that. Right? <laughs> no, never do deals that your venture capitalists tell you to do. That's that's. That is a good rule. You know what you should do? That is a good rule. La, la, la. So, so One attendee asked about the risk of telling your idea to a potential large partner. Dick and Scott tackle that concern. The question we right. used to get when we would pitch FeedBurner first was, well, why can't Google do this? Like, Google can build a space station if they want. You know, they can build, they can, of course they can build FeedBurner. My my hope is, or my thought process is, they're thinking about a thousand things. I'm thinking about this. Yep. Right? So yeah. Also, also the big, thing. also the biggest wins. Uh, I know we gotta wrap up, but I just want to like, you know, you're obsessed with this thing you're thinking about. Yeah. You're comp- and, and, and you're so yeah. sure of it being so important, and you think, well, clearly, if I go tell Walmart, you know, or clearly, if I go tell Google, they're going to think it's as important because it's obviously stupendously and uh, you know, stupendously enormous. But um, but uh, uh, so you don't want to even tell them because, of course, they're going to steal it. They're going to they're you know say. Stop what everyone's doing at Google and work on this. Um, uh, but you know, the reality is, is that uh, you know you're. Um, uh, your um, 
that's why you have opportunities because you see something that other people don't see and and uh, and um, so you know don't think that uh, don't think that this that the, that, that, that you know all of a sudden people are going to jump on this thing uh, because it's so so brilliant it might be very well brilliant but they got a lot of other shit going on now let's jump into scott's talk about getting and keeping customers and users scott gave us an inside look into his company meetup.com which now has over 3 million users if there's one message to get across to help you focus your thinking and help you um, drive uh, what it is you're doing, uh, it is, I think, the, the basic understanding that um, people are confused. <laughs> and um, let me give you, a, this is an example that I, I'm probably going to regret being on this, uh, on this recording here, but I had a board meeting the other day. Uh, in California, and um, Senator Bill Bradley, uh, former Senator Bradley, is on our board, and um, and he's awesome, and he's fantastic, and he's got this wisdom of you know being 20 years as a senator, and uh, all the things he's done in his life is is amazing. Now, people ask, well, that's interesting. He's on your board. What is what is uh, what is this guy who was a, a Nick and uh, and a senator have to do with a tech startup? And I'll tell you what, um, I, and I've, I've got, I'm so, so, we're so crazy, ridiculously lucky that we have all these, these amazing board members of, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, all these people on our board, but um, Senator Bradley is one of the most, uh, is, is, is so valuable because he's so clueless in many ways about <laughs> like he'll literally like so this this past friday and and, and I'm, i say this with the utmost of respect and i think he even i think he does it on, i think he's bsing when he's when he when he acts a little bit confused so basically he's been you know we've had six board meetings a year that he's been a part of for two years the guy's been to you know has flown around and, and to come to our board meetings and, and and he's been to over 10 meetings and and this past Friday, he literally, um, you know, you go, you go through this whole, the, our new partnership director gives us whole strategy and plan for how we're doing partnerships. And he, he basically just says, I don't get it. And he, and, and, and he says, so what is, you know, so we say oh, the AARP is going to, you know, do this with Meetup. And, and this whole explanation, whole explanation, and he says, just what? Huh? <laughs> you know, like, um, and... The point is, is that you really can get so wrapped up in your shit. You, you really can go. You, you, you cannot underestimate how basically confused people are. So here's this guy, this smart, amazingly smart dude, uh, Senator Bradley, who like has seen our business, you know, inside and out for two years, and yet um, uh, is is making it so clear that he's not even getting what we're talking about when we say this organization is going to buy this from our company, and I think that uh, I mean I'm I'm pro I'm probably uh, going a little extreme here, but I but it is um, but but I'm we'll say it anyway, which I think basically the whole world's just con just lost and confused about most everything that you know, and and everyone's faking it. You know, it's not an accident that things like like um, uh, Google are so simple, or that Craigslist is so simple. Think about Craigslist. Craigslist is the most rudimentary rudimentary design you can imagine. Uh, 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 the, the the functionality is uh, there's a. Uh, we were just talking in this little breakout session about you know think of the thousand ways you 
can think of of making Craigslist better. You can you can oh my god, Craig should add this and Craig should add that and Craig should do this and Craig should do that and 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 I apologize for repeating for the folks earlier, but you know there's a giant body pile of all the smart designers and MBAs and entrepreneurs out there who said okay that patted Craig on the head and said Craig that's nice you do your little thing, but uh, we're going to build a real business here, you know you don't know what you're doing Craig you don't even have a logo. Well, clearly, you need a logo to be successful. I mean, if you want to get users, you need a logo, and you also need really good design, and you need a really good business plan, and you need this. Well, um, the fact is, is that these these amazing, you know, amazing um, successes of like a MySpace or a Craigslist or a Google, they basically have one page each one of them. There's a there's a one or two pages. So. Think you know. Think of what what Craigslist is. It's just, you got the listing. You got the page of, of 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 listings, and you click a listing, and you got the page. And eBay is basically a you know. It's like the auction page. Scott goes on to emphasize the importance of solving problems for confused users. He brought up the case of Christian author Rick Warren, who wrote the bestseller The Purpose Driven Life, and also founded and grew his own church. After all, a church may not have customers, but a church lives or dies by its ability to grow and keep a congregation. Scott draws an analogy between Rick's church and a company Scott was involved in starting called Photolog. What is it that people are struggling with? And so he'll say to churches, you know, that if there are young families and young parents in your in this community that you're trying to get them to go to church, well, have a uh, have a session about potty training, not about Jesus, you know, and that and and that and that's actually been been being used. That like it's it's people aren't interested in this. They're interested in in uh, um, they want to they, they they're they're having trouble with with potty training their kids, and so they'll so the the church will do a session about that, which gets people in the door. The message here is that um, is that. Uh, and this is not a classic message of, you know, do your market research and address customer needs exactly. It's saying that both on a rational level and an irrational level, um, you've got to find hooks. Um, and, and that the hook might not be what you think it is. So I, I, you know, I mentioned MySpace, or you mentioned Craigslist, or this thing, Photolog. Photolog, this thing that I... I designed in my apartment over here is the most butt ugly simple rudimentary site you can imagine and why is it that uh why is it that it's getting is it getting um a couple billion page views a month is um the essence is is that it's only it made it really front and center and easy to uh to see your friends photos and that's that's the only reason why people use it is because their friends use it myspace is ugly and the only reason why it's useful is because other, uh, because people's um, friends are there. So the the message that I'm saying is that the the packaging and the design, this this is kind of you know goes against the grain to what a lot of things you might hear. The packaging and design and a lot of these other things are not necessary. What's necessary is the is the um, identifying what quality is important. To attract those customers and those users, you know, Gene said, "Understand uh, the core need of the partner." Um, no one is looking for MySpace 
because they want they want to they want to generate content. This whole you know user generated content. People are not yearning to generate content. They're not waking up and saying I want to generate content today. They're saying they're saying. Uh, Ooh, I want to see or share those photos from that party on Saturday night where so and so was plastered, and I and I'm gonna and I gotta check into MySpace to see those photos. Not only do you have to solve users' problems, but you have to be consistent in your message about how you're going to solve their problem. Meetup is uh, offline. We use the internet to get people off the internet and form these local community groups that meet up in the real world. Okay, so it is really friggin' boring to tell the same story for four years as I have about Meetup, but I'm doing it, and I'm going to keep doing it for the next ten years. On a and and for all the everyone in the world wants us to who, who has anything to, who is interested in Meetup wants us to say, well, you got to be adding voice over IP, and you got to be adding this, and you got to be adding this, and you got to do this, and and um, just like I'm sure you, you can imagine what the kind of things that people tell Craig what Craig should do. But Craigslist has been around for 11 years now, and, and, and most people have only started really hearing about it in the, next, in the last couple few. It's that consistency of, of the simplicity of what it is and what it stands for. So, with, so in, in Meetup, you know, we've, we've identified it's the offline, the local and the offline, and we're going to keep on that year after year after year in the pursuit of being a household word. In the pursuit of Bill Bradley's finally understanding what we do, even though he goes to our meetings every two months for two years. The next session is led by Dick Costello of FeedBurner on team building. Dick has the unique vantage point of starting several companies with the same group of co-founders. So there are a bunch of different aspects, obviously, to building a team. I'll start off by talking about um, when you're starting a company with co-founders, because that's its own interesting dynamic. Um, I know David's had some experience with this with Six Apart, and, and I've mentioned already that I've started, the same, uh, started companies with the same group of people. The, the first interesting dynamic about starting a company with co-founders is that at some point the company moves from three people of equal, of equal voting rights to a company in which you have, you know, equal, equal <laughs> you have a bunch of employees, and there has to be some sense. You can't just have a big circle at the top with three randomly floating folks, unless you're Google, um, <laughs> and, even, and uh, and that may or may not be the way that 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 works there. Um, but but right, so there's a, there's so there's an interesting dynamic in moving from a your you know. Person A and Person B are co-founders. To someone's going to be the CEO and someone's going to be the CTO, or, or pick your pick your roles, right? And I think um, one of the issues Gene and, and and I'm sure David and, and other investors have with husband and wife teams is exactly that kind of thing, right? When when push comes to shove, or there's some difficult decision to be made, you know, who's the one that is going to be who's the who's the person that's in charge, right? And that can be the issue with these quote-unquote mom-and-pop operations, right? Well, we're both equal partners. Okay, well, that can't be the way it lasts forever unless, you know, things start magically working correctly from day one and there are never any, never any issues. So one important thing to sort of just make sure you get squared away with co-founders when you start raising money and growing the business is make sure you kind of agree on where where you're each going to slot in once you start growing the business and there gets to be a, a full-fledged organization underneath you. Um, we're, 
the, the folks I've founded these companies with have been in the fortunate position of we all kind of know what we're good at and what we're not good at. Like Eric, our, uh, who's, who's basically developed the architecture of, of FeedBurner, doesn't like managing people. Okay, well, so he's not going to be the CEO, right? Um, so, and, and we've been fortunate to be in that role, but there are lots of instances where that's not the case. I think it sticks apart where Mina and Ben, husband and wife team, founded the company. They were um, thoughtful enough to realize, hey, we're not the right people to be the CEO of this company, and you know, when we don't we don't have that kind of relationship where Ben would be CEO or I would be CEO, and so we're going to bring in another person to be CEO, and or maybe there's another story behind this. As David no, 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 I'm just trying to decide which company, you know. Would you want the Ben company or the me? <laughs> right. Um, so that's an important, I think, an important thing to get squared away. And it's, it, it sounds trivial, but then there's always this sense that, well, yeah, but you'll be the CEO, but really, you know, but really later on, you won't, it'll be, we'll all vote equally, right? I mean, you kind of got to lay that down and be, well, no, if there's an issue that comes up, this person has to be able to make the decision on that. Dave Hornick took the opportunity to make a little fun of Dick who earlier said he was CEO only because he lacked the skill to do anything else. And you guys do have the good fortune of having a group of people work together, have very clear strengths, come in, you know, knowing it. Dick, by default, is CEO because he has no other skills. Right. The other skills. The other skills. Last role available. Last role available. You're the CEO. You're the VP of development. Well, what do we got left? Dick, you're CEO. Make the big decisions. Right. Yes. I used to have a like a wood BlackBerry that they gave me. Here, send email on that. <laughs> Dick brings up an interesting point on hiring for startups, and a point that's very unique for startups. The first thing people have a tendency to do, I think, when they're in startup mode and interviewing uh, potential candidates, the first mistake that, that I used to make all the time is I'm, I was constantly selling the company, trying to sell them on the company, why you want to work here, and this, you know, and you, you, you're, you're used to selling the company, you're pitching the company, and you want people to come work for you. And I wouldn't sell the hardship, right? And if you're working for a startup, hit sucky hours, low pay, with potentially no benefit, right? So <laughs> some people aren't I mean. comfortable in that environment. Um, but, right, so you need to, I mean, a feed burner now, I, when we interview people, I'm the last person that talks to somebody. And I, you know, in my role is to basically go in and, okay, you've heard all the great things about this particular role in the company. Here are the things that are hard about, you know, FeedBurner. One, you know, we're on a 24-7 schedule because we have customers around the world and we try to be responsive to everybody, and, you know, and on and on and on. So during the interview process, we, we totally, we always sell the hardship now. And that gets some people, you know, great, right? They're happy to hear it up front. They're okay. Pain. Doesn't sound like sounds like that's not for me, or or it sorts in more of the kind of people you want to work with you, right? Like, yep, I'm in. I'm that's yeah. the kind of environment I want to be in. Yeah. Dick also talks about hiring based on what skills you need for your team, rather than hiring who you'd like to have on your team. The second mistake that we used to make a lot that I don't I don't think we make anymore is would look for people who are culturally sim very similar to us, right? Like. In, in be it in age or in attitude or in musical to oh like he likes that band we like that band yeah. he'll be great here you know <laughs> I'm just you know oh we, we had a great lunch with that guy we talked about 
whatever. Um, you just, you know, there are like some people interview very well and they're likable and they seem like a great cultural fit. And that turns out to be a very poor way to look for certain roles in the organization. Specifically, um, we tried to, and I don't think we, we didn't, we didn't necessarily sit down and write these things down. But we all, I think, but I say we, I mean me and my co-founders, we have a sense now of what we're good at and what we're not good at, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we started hiring and slotting in people for certain roles within FeedBurner, we very much looked for people who were good at things we knew we weren't good at. I already mentioned, you know, I'm a bad, I, I don't think I'm a particularly good negotiator, right? So when we looked, started looking for biz dev folks, I've talked to those folks about, you know, I negotiations and, yeah, see? <laughs> You should have see, you could have got you could have gotten in at one at zero pre. And, uh, you don't know how to the company. <laughs> uh, so, right, look for people who are going to fill gaps, not just in the roles within the company, but in the skill sets within the company. Right. Um, again, on our engineering team, I already mentioned one of my co-founders, Eric. You know, he doesn't like managing people. He's, he he doesn't like it. He doesn't want to do it. He's not good at it. Someone asks him a career question, he starts sweating. You know. Um, so okay, so VP of engineering has got to be someone who's much more oriented toward career management, um, process. You know, uh, product product. You know, product roadmaps and 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 managing to the roadmap, etc. And so I think that's a that's a mis that's a very common startup mistake, right? Let's look for people we like or people we know, yeah. um, and hiring friends. And well, we need someone to fill this role right now, and he knows the guy, so let's get them. And then I think there's the the third point I would make on hiring and building the initial team. And this is something that's just you know it's it's trivialized now because people say it all the time. You know, people say hire A players, right? And then and then and then the the cliche is, you know, if you hire B players, B players hire C players, C players hire D players, etc. So the challenge there is, you've got, you know, you're 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 building out this product, and you've got certain, you know, you've got a vision for what you want to do with the product, and you've got customers and deadlines, and you need, you know, four Java engineers. You know, there aren't four A Java engineers who are lined up right outside your door. There are a lot of other people, right? And you can hide what ends up happening frequently, and again, these are previous mistakes we've made, you hire a couple A players and then a couple C players because, well, these guys are kind of good enough and they were the best of the rest of the people. And it just always comes back to, to hurt you. Uh, and, and so with FeedBurner, I mean, we have constantly missed our resource deadlines, right? When we've said to the board in the 2006 plan, we're going to be at, you know, in the 2005 plan and 2006 plan, we're going to be this many people in these kinds of roles by this date, this many people in these kinds of roles by this date. I'm constantly going into board meetings saying, you know, haven't found anyone for this, haven't found anyone for this, haven't found anyone for this, and interviewing tons and tons of people because it just, you just, you pay 10 times over for bad hires. There are a lot of unique hiring concerns for startups. And one of them is that some people are uniquely bad at working for startups. The last point on higher A players is um, there are different there are different kinds of people you look for at different stages of the company. Person who might be an A player when you're 50 people yeah. is not an A player when yeah. you're 10 people. Okay. And so, specific to that point, um, we hired a guy. Um, several and uh, really in the first company, um, we did who was an A player in a 200-person company, 
you know, a player product manager. But in a ten in the ten person company we were, he was horrible, and we had to uh, we had to uh, uh, fire him. Always people who look for euphemisms for uh, we had to uh, uh, ask, uh, him to, ask him uh, to not work here anymore. Right, right. euphemisms for terminate. We had to ask him to if he wouldn't be happier somewhere that wasn't right in that desk. Um, and, and the reason was he was he was um, in an entrepreneur. You know, your ten people. Everyone's got it. You know, you need to make decisions very quickly and go execute on those decisions. And this was a person who was used to, okay, well, I need to now go check with this person to make sure he or she buys off on this. And now I need to make sure we're going to all get in the room together after I've checked with each of you. And like, you know, we just didn't have any time for that, right? So you need to, uh, you know, that's and that's another one of those where the resume got us really excited about. Yeah. Right? Oh, they're a great project manager. That's that's exactly what we need. Someone to run product here, and uh, you know, just not the right cultural fit, which we would have gotten if we'd asked, just asked, been, you know, not paid any attention to that, got him, sat him down in the meeting and asked about comfort in an entrepreneurial environment, entrepreneurial, in the word environment, not having to, not having to, you know, how are you with, you know, if you, if you need to choose between A and B and, you know, no one's around here, how do you, how do you deal with that? And so on and so forth. One of the aspects of team building that we all might like to forget is that everyone makes mistakes hiring. When you make a mistake hiring, you have to do some firing. Everyone on the panel agreed it's best to fire quickly in startups, where unlike in big companies, there is little margin for error. If you make a mistake, you have to fix it fast. Gene addresses how to do that. For some reason, I'm the one they turn to on the board and say, you get to fire him. My best, my my. So I've become really good at it. That's a great. I've become really good at firing because I I think I think there is a real special. I think there's a way to do it. I think there's a way not to do it. And I guess also having been at a large company, uh, I had to do it a lot. And of course, it's painful, but uh, I think it's critical. And I like what you said. You set it up from the first day. Hey, it's tougher on here, and if it doesn't work out, guess what? We don't have time to nurse you along. I think it sounds like Dick sets it up from the first day. I think that's great. But uh, in a lot of places, too, uh, I really believe in the measured mile that uh, you do give the person some instance that, hey, this is working or not working. And uh, I like to use gradations of meat exceeds or far exceeds expectations. So sit down with them periodically. You are meeting or expectations, but we really want you to exceed or far exceed, and here's the three things you have to do. Then if they don't pay attention, shame on them. And so a month later you say, hey, you're not, you're not doing it, and you're, you know, here, here's what's happening. And so I think those are some critical ways to manage through a, a tough uh, situation. One of the attendees asked a follow-up question about how to fire someone the right way. Dave and Dick address it from a legal and practical viewpoint. Start up by not forming your company in Paris. <laughs> so, so, thank, thank you. <laughs> and to, and now to you, Dick. <laughs> so, I had a bunch of people working for me in Paris. <laughs> in, the last, in the last company that acquired us, the choir had a, a group in Paris that uh, it was so day one of the, my role in the new company was Dick you've got this group working for you in Paris I thought wow it's standing I've got a Paris office now day two was and you need to go over there and fire them um, so so 
it, so there's an, there's an environment where, as David's laughing, there are very serious, obviously, and, and not only legal uh, ramifications, the culture there is much more, you know, I've got this job, it's really a part of my life, a lot, a lot more so than, than it is necessarily, you know, in Silicon Valley, I mean, I think at the other end of the spectrum is like, I, you know, I have this, I'm carrying a Dakota bag around today. I guess I work for Dakota. Um, um, you know, it, over th there, there are there are certainly cultural uh, environments in which it's just much more a part of your life, and so being fired is is a traumatic experience. I think that so m my mo has always been just state facts and try not to get into the you know emotional. Because you, you te your emotional tendency is to try to compensate for saying something bad to this person, right? And so you try to deliver all this other good news along with it. You know, that's your tendency. And you just have to it kind of avoid help. that. It certainly doesn't help because then that just leads to more questions. And you just have to sort of go through the, well, you know, this happened and this happened and this happened and therefore um, it's not going to work out. We've talked a lot about firing. And that's because we're looking to address the hard parts about starting a company and not just gloss over them. We want you to be prepared for some of the hard parts of startup life because inevitably we all face some. But thankfully, Dick didn't leave us off on that note. I'll say, I'll say one last positive thing about building a team so it's not all about firing people because you actually eventually have to have people who work for the company. Um, You're fired. <laughs> is that having, having the open space is that... that, that this open floor plan that we have in our office now is bless you is Sorry. great for is great for team building because everybody hears. So instead of having the situation where someone from biz dev comes over to engineering and asks for X and engineering thinks of it as ah those always with needing things with the biz dev folks, the, the engineering guys are hearing the biz dev guys on the phone and the you know the the discussions they're having and the the questions that they're answering that they're not coming over and talking to them about and so there's much more sh right like as with anything once you actually see what the other person's dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis there's a much a much greater sense of shared respect for okay well i've seen that they've taken care of these five things on their own I'm, i should be more than happy to help them out with this one thing they're asking for when you don't see that there tends to, you know, you get these groups within the company that, oh, those, those guys are always complaining about X, or those guys are always asking for things and not giving things. Um, so I think that as far as, you know, building up a group that works well together, having that open environment, and then, and then also as an executive being in that open environment, right, I answer support emails, I comment on nasty blog posts about how, how bad, what bad people we are, and, and, and so forth, and not, Can you know, pushing it off. Just a cup at a birthday party. Just because of the birthday party, it's a story we don't need to talk about right now. Um, you know that it wasn't helps, me. That helps. Wasn't that helps. Those things all help build the team, right? If people start to feel like, okay, well, you know, if these people are doing it, I should do it. That's it for the first half of our workshop coverage. In the next show, you'll hear topics including bootstrapping, financing, and marketing. As always, we want your feedback. Now, if you were at the conference, you already had your chance in uh, the breakout sessions and asking questions at the end. But great thing about podcasting is everyone can get a little bit of a say. So make sure you log on to our website, www.venturevoice.com, where you can either leave comments that everyone can see or contact us with your private concerns, and we'll be sure to tackle them in the next show. Until next time, this is Greg Gallant for Venture Voice. 
entertaining entrepreneurship.